Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Now we're in that time leading up to Pentecost. Uh, Greg has been looking at that in-between time and how that impacts our lives in so many areas where we find ourselves in a corridor between one thing and another thing. And uh, I suppose today we're talking about that again because we're going to be talking about the time in between Jesus rising uh, and ascending to heaven and uh, the command that he gave to his disciples. So that time between his ascension and the time of Pentecost when the Spirit got poured out. Uh, And I think it's really timely for us. I don't know if you, like me, feel this sense that God is doing something. There's this sense that we're working hard. There's a lot of faithfulness going on amongst us. There's a lot of the mundane that we're just doing that's not terribly enthusiastic. There are the highs and there are the lows. But over all of this, God is on the move. Amen? And what I want us to do, in a sense, is just to step back and take a look at what God has been doing and look forward with expectation to what we believe He's going to do. Because we feel it. We feel something's coming. We feel like the wave is rising. And we are climbing to the crest of something. And in a moment, I really believe in, in, I don't know what the timing is. It's happening, but something significant is going to happen. And I want us to really be able to take hold of all that God's doing and not miss a thing, you know? We want to paddle to the crest of the wave and catch it. Amen. Uh, We moved to this building uh, end of July uh, last year, Um, and I just want you to be so encouraged. You know, it took us about three years to grow from about 30 to 40 people to the number that we were when we moved in here last year, which was about 70 to 80. So it took us three years, in a sense, to double in size. Last week... There were 136 people in this place. We have almost doubled. By the end of this year proper, we will have doubled. Now, some people don't like the idea of numbers. We've decided to start counting because everybody counts. And we want to know what God is doing amongst us. We want to see where the trends are, so that we can do what we do better for the Lord and be more strategic and discerning. But it matters that we know how we're doing. Amen. And we have doubled in size in a year. That's phenomenal. You know there are churches on the island that are closing. There are churches that haven't grown for a long time. But God is doing something here. And we honestly want to give Him all the glory. Because we're starting to talk about how are we going to fit more people in. And those are awesome conversations to have as church leaders. We are, I don't know if you're quite as enthusiastic as I am about this. (laughs) We've had to work hard, let me tell you. We've had to adapt, we've had to be organic, we've had to change And we feel like we've been pushing a snowball. You know how you you build a snowball because you want to build a really big snowman? And you push, and you push, and as you push, all the effort goes in and it starts to grow and grow. But the bigger it gets, the harder it is to push. But imagine now that snowball is just cresting on a slope. 
And I feel like that's where we are. That just now, the snowball is going to roll on its own. It's going to roll faster and faster, and it's going to get bigger and bigger, and our big challenge is trying to keep the snowball straight. Do you know what I'm saying? There's momentum, and you know, when you talk about church planting, that's the biggest thing, to try and achieve. It sounds really unspiritual, but church takes hard work, not just from the leaders, but all the wonderful people. And we have momentum, folks, and we need to be excited about that. We want to see it carry on. So I want you to imagine back now, right, Jesus has ascended. The number that the Bible says that were, as the church, were about 120, right? Roughly about where we are right now. And Pentecost was coming. And you know what that means? When the Spirit fell and was poured out on everyone, the church went from 120 on one day to 3,000 and some the next day. That was God. That's the kind of thing that God does. That's what we are beginning to observe, this expectation in our midst, and this sense that God is going to do something that's going to astound us. And the questions that go through my mind are, how did the early church get ready for that? What did they do? What did they do when the Spirit of God fell and suddenly there were 3,000 believers how did they cope with that? How did they do church? How did they keep going forward? How did they keep it positive? Those are some of the questions that we're going to look at today. And we're going to share, we're going to reflect on a few verses um, in the book of Acts. So I want to start reading uh, two verses from Acts chapter 1. Jesus is about to ascend and he says to them, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this command do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And there are times when Jesus talked about this gift of the Holy Spirit. For he says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The significant word that I want to talk about here is what does wait look like? What does wait look like? Because it might not be what you think it means. Okay? God's calling the disciples here to wait because he wants to empower them for something amazing. He wants them to be prepared in themselves for something amazing. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave this place, he says, but wait. Something is coming. Uh, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power... I love that. That's a promise. There's no, you might. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This idea that we are in between, this idea that the church uh, in those days was in between the ascension and the day of Pentecost. What is it that God is calling us to do in this time where we are? What can we learn from them and apply today? And the first point that I want us to be aware of today is that God is calling us to wait, to wait on Him. We're not talking about uh, a passive, I'm gonna sit on my hands and wait, twiddling my thumbs. The waiting is active. 
The waiting is doing what we know to do in the moment that we know to do it and crying out to the Lord for all that he has prepared for us to come to be. And that's what we've been doing. And that's what we never stop doing. We wait in this moment on God doing everything we know how to do. What is God calling you to do in this time? Is he calling you to sit in a chair on Sunday and listen? Or do you think he's calling you to take part in this wonderful mission to build his church? Because that's what he wants. What does it mean to wait? We wait on God and we do what's in our hands to do. Until God says another thing. Amen. Sometimes we get into that in-between time. We know that there's a change of something going on. And we take our hands off in preparation for what God's going to show us. And what actually happens is that time is much longer than we think. And we end up not being very productive. Whereas God wants us to have our hands on and do until he says stop and do this. There's no relaxing in between. God wants us busy. Amen. Doing what he's called us to do until he says something different. And when he says it. Right. The second thing that I want us to look at today uh, that we can emulate the early church. We've talked about the idea of waiting. Let's read from Acts chapter 1 verses 14 to 15. So now Jesus has said wait and he's ascended. Now the disciples are like, okay, now what? What did they do when Jesus was gone? It says they went back to the place where they were staying. They went up to that upper room and it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers and it says it was a group numbering about 120. So there's this idea of waiting. The second point that I want to make today is that they were joined together. This is so, so, so important, folks, that we really understand what this is talking about for us today while we're waiting in the Lord. What it means to be joined together. The Greek word is homothumadon. Greg's shared this before. It's made up of two Greek words, right? The first one being homu, which means together. And the second one, thumos, means passion and fierceness. Did you ever feel passionate about something that the emotions were strong inside of you? Your blood and your heart rate rose and you felt the surge of emotion going on inside of you. When the Bible talks about those disciples joining together, it's not talking about them simply gathering a place and standing next to each other. There's so much more. This idea of being joined together passionately, fiercely, fiercely working for the thing that God wants for us. One mind, one accord, one passion. That's what God is calling us to. One mind, one accord, and one passion. It's not just agreeing on a good idea, but working hard together for it. 
I don't know what your understanding of church has been. If you've come from a traditional kind of a church, this might sound different for you, but we feel passionately about the church. We believe that the church is not a building where we gather on a Sunday for an hour or two. But we believe that the church is the body of people that God has chosen to work through to change the world. And we're going to keep challenging you to this idea. It's not enough to just attend on a Sunday and tick a box. It's got to be the passion that flows through our veins. Seeing the church of God established and built and multiplied. With the anointing and the power that Jesus gives us through His Spirit. Working hard. If we can get to that place, we are an unstoppable force for God's kingdom. One mind, one accord, one passion. But we have to work so hard to maintain that unity of mind, of heart. Amen. The devil knows that he can't stop us as a unit. But you need to know that his tactic is to splinter off. If you imagine how a lion, and the Bible talks about him, the devil, prowling around, roaring like a lion, looking for who he can devour. When lions hunt, they look for a weak one. And they work together to split that weak member away from the herd. Because when they can break that weak member away from the herd, they can devour that weak member. And if you watch nature and you see how the herd works together, when they stay together, it's impossible pretty much for the lion to get anywhere. If you can understand the principle and the tactic that the devil uses, it will help you to be prepared for when he comes knocking. Because the Bible says that uh, the devil left Jesus and was looking for a more appropriate time to come back. The devil's not going to get you at your strongest. He's not going to get you when you're surrounded by people of God. He's going to get you when you're low, when you're feeling weak, when you're by yourself. That's when you're vulnerable. And sometimes he can even say things to your mind and to your heart to cause you to pull yourself away. Right? One of the things that I wanted to talk about this morning, which I think is so hard that we all need to work so hard to make sure that frustration doesn't creep into our lives and cause us to pull away. Frustration growing in our hearts for whatever the issue may be. And it pulls us away from the safety of the body. All right. Paul talks about this frustration being expressed as something called selfish ambition. Imagine we're all running along together. Momentum is growing. And we're all coping and dealing with our own emotions and our own situations in our lives. 
our personal issues and collectively what we're trying to do together as a church. There are many moments when the devil will allow us to take offense of things or become frustrated about something and that frustration begins to build. And the thing that I really want us to talk about today and be aware of is this whole idea of selfish ambition. You know, a lot of the times we, we think that we're doing good and we want good. It even looks good and it even sounds good, but it's not God. And it's so important for us to be able to discern between the difference. You know, it's so easy to think God has told us to do something and our motivation for doing that thing is fueled by frustration. Maybe we've heard something that we didn't like. Maybe we got hurt by something that someone did. Maybe we feel unappreciated or undervalued or unnoticed. Or we look at other people around us and we think they get so much more exposure or recognition. I don't know what it looks like for you. And in that environment, selfish ambition starts to take root. And Paul talks about it a lot. I want to share a few verses with you this morning. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20, he says, and Paul says this, I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord and jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. In Galatians, he writes, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. These are huge, aren't they? Fits of rage, and right in there, selfish ambition. And he goes on, dissension and factions. In Philippians 1 verse 17, Paul says, he's talking about different groups of people and how they preach the gospel. He says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. You know, we can even preach Christ out of selfish ambition. How crazy is that? Not sincerely or with pure motives, supposing that they can stir up trouble, this is Paul saying, for, for me while I'm in chains. And he goes on to say, but even if they do preach Christ out of selfish ambitions, Jesus will still glorify himself. Thank God for his grace. Amen. That even when our motivations are a bit wonky, he'll glorify his own name. But the challenge is there. Where is there any selfish ambition in our lives as we serve the Lord? James 3 verse 14 says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. What's he saying? If you feel like that inside, don't talk about it with other people. He says, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Don't deny that it's living in there. So firstly, don't talk about it and don't deny that it's a reality. But by the grace of God, let's deal with it. Amen. James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, 
There you find disorder and every evil practice. Paul says for us, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing. Have no ambition other than the ambition of Jesus to see his kingdom come. That's what he's saying. Be passionately and fiercely fueled by the, the, the kingdom of God being brought into being in the earth. And he says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. I don't know about you. That is a massive challenge for me. You know, there's a lot of hard work that goes into serving the Lord. And I'm talking about all of us. And only we know, and the Lord knows, the sacrifices that we make, the time that we give, the energy that we spend. And there's this natural, human, carnal part of us that just wants to get a stroke, a pat on the back, a well done. And sometimes those come, amen, and sometimes they don't. Because we're not perfect, and we can't be everywhere seeing all things, can we? I want to encourage you, please, don't let that frustration rise up inside you. Remember, you have one audience, and his name's Jesus, and he knows, and you will be rewarded for your hard work. And can I say, from us as leaders, if we don't say thank you enough, or we don't value you, or you feel that we don't value you enough, we're not purposefully trying to be like that. The people around you aren't purposefully trying to be like that. Amen. Don't let the devil rush in and cause a frustration, a frustration to rise up inside of you that causes selfish ambition to taint everything. Amen. You might feel like you can run faster on your own, but we run further together. Amen? God's calling us to be joined together, fiercely and passionately. Amen? Working hard for His glory. What's the antidote then to this dangerous place of selfish ambition? Acts 2, verses 41 to 47 talking about the early church, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The antidote to selfish ambition is devotion. Devotion. That word devotion means to adhere to, to steadfastly be attentive to, to give unremitting care to, to continue all the time, to persevere and not faint, to show oneself courageous for, and to be in constant readiness. 
That's what God is calling us to, to be devoted, to be devoted endlessly. And I want to talk about what they were as we draw to a close today. We read there that the early church and the members were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to coming under the ministry of the Word of God, right? They were devoted to those around them. Look around you today. We are the family of God. He's called us to be devoted to one another. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, to remembering all that Jesus had done. They were devoted to prayer. I want to challenge us today to bring what we do here to the furthest place forward in our lives that we can. To not just bolt church on as an extra, a dispensable extra to our lives, but to hear the call of God on us as a body, not just a few, but all of us, to be devoted to this thing as best we can with our lives, with our families, with our finances, with our time, with our hearts and our passion. Building, building. Acts tells us that after this massive explosion in terms of people being added to the church, they continued to meet in the temple courts. They continued to have these big scale meetings. And they also continued to meet in each other's homes. And I really want to take a moment just to highlight this whole idea of small groups. Every week we talk about them because they are the most effective way for us to encourage one another and pastor one another in the Lord. I want to again just speak to this old school mindset about how churches run that the the pastor gets paid to do everything. It's his job to preach. It's his job to set out the chairs. It's his job to visit everybody. It's his job to encourage everybody. Can you imagine how worn out a few people will get if it was down to one person? We don't believe or accept or promote that whatsoever. That's not what we're after. Okay? We're after the church to grow and the pastoring takes place in small groups where every member who is joined to the church is committed to a small group, where they meet every week, where they pray for one another, where they discuss the Word of God, where they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, where they discover their spiritual gifts and let them operate and encourage the others around them. We need more life group leaders. Praise God, we have about eight groups that are happening right now. But God is adding to us, folks, We need more life groups. Amen. We need to, and I'm going to be a little bit direct here, wherever there is an option to reorganize our evenings so that we can get to a life group. Amen. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, no, this is optional. But I want to tell you, it's not. It's too easy to become lost in a group of people as it grows on a Sunday. God's calling us to intimacy. God doesn't want small churches. He wants growing churches. Amen? There's 100,000 people on this island, folks. I don't know how many people they say are 
churchgoers. Let's be really, really ambitious and say 10,000. Where are the other 90,000 going to go if they get saved? There aren't enough churches. We've got work to do. Amen. Amen. (laughs) That's the big picture. We can come here on a Sunday and think, wow, check how full we are. We're being successful. But it's just a drop in the ocean. Amen. It really is. It's awesome. And it's a sign of what God's doing. And it's a sign of his heart for the rest of the people who don't know Jesus. And we're passionate about seeing them love him and live for him. They cared for one another's needs. The Bible says there was a culture of praise. And the simple thing that I want to draw out here was they were exuberant in their worship. And that's a key for us as a church. We like dynamic praise, and that's where we would like to see ourselves grow, not at um, the expense of intimacy, but there needs to be an exuberance in our midst. And we're praying for ourselves to let that joy free us more and more, and we're praying for you, because there's a great power that comes when we worship with joy and freedom. And the Bible says that God added to them on a daily basis. And I feel like there are some real keys for us that I think we have noticed in God's Word here that we're working on, and God's breathing on it, and we're seeing the fruit. Amen. But we can't be complacent. We have to work hard to maintain that together. Because together... There's nothing that's impossible for us with God. I want to encourage you today. How are you fitting in? How are you taking your place? How are you organizing your life so that you can be a part of what God's doing in the earth? How can you be a part of the solution? Really asking God to speak to you today and show you what He wants you to do. How He wants you to play a part. We're constantly asking people to get involved on a Sunday in all sorts of areas. I don't believe that God has any spectators in his economy. Some will have much bigger profile jobs to do, others much smaller, but everybody needs to be involved. What is God calling you to today? Some of the folk were praying in the pre-service prayer meeting today and a picture that they had was of a, a foot that was bandaged and a hand that was bandaged and they just felt like, and this was not solicited by anything that I shared, that there's people who are kind of saying, I can't be involved because I'm held back by a particular thing. I, I really feel God wants to set you free from that today, whatever it may be. He wants to work in your life. He wants to reorientate things so that you can find purpose in his economy. Because God wants to bless you and he wants to bless us through you. He wants to grow you and he wants to grow us through you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.